Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word of God, I pray that, Lord, even if it's just one thing, Lord, you'd help this to be a seed that grows and bears fruit uh, so that we may be encouraged to encourage other people. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you feel under attack sometimes? You know, just like, how many of you feel under attack all the time? <laughs> almost the same number. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost a fact of life that there is just attack that happens. Sometimes it's financial attack, right? You know, uh, how many of you uh, love that famous line from the movie? I think it was, what was it, Back to the Future? Show me the money, you know? No? You never saw that movie? Show me the money? It wasn't Back to the Future. Oh, okay. Jerry Maguire, huh? <laughs> you guys are paying attention. That's awesome, you know? You know, show me the money. You know, sometimes we can come under some great financial attack and just need money. I need money and I need more money. I'm going to go and ask that Powerball winner to give me just like 10%, you know? So money. How about people? Sometimes the biggest attack can come from other people, whether it's friends, family, coworkers. I mean, the world would be such an awesome place if it wasn't for people, right? You know, people just kind of messing up. How many of you, you found out over the years that the biggest attack you face often is all in your own head, you know? I mean, people come and, oh, man, this person thinks this about me, and this person did this to me, and, and this happened here, and, I, da, 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 and I'm worried about my boss things about, and I'm worried about this, and this is going to happen, da, 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 da. and the fact of the matter is the attack is all in your own head. That self-talk has been going and going and going, and you have just talked yourself into an attack. Attack can come from many different areas, and during times of attack, we can tend to feel all alone, especially if the attack is annual or, or seems to go on for years, and you're kind of in that wilderness, and one of the things that begins to happen is this, God, where in the world are you? I can't see one thing you're doing in my life, and the worst is when you see God doing stuff in other people's life. You're happy for them, but deep down inside, you're a little, like, mad at the same time, aren't you? You know? Because you want to you experience the, 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 the favor of God on your own life. And so we can tend to think that God is not there and either retreat into loneliness and self-despair or grouchiness and self-destruction. But the fact of the matter is, God reveals himself in the Old Testament as Jehovah Shammah, which means the God who is there, even if you can't see him. There's a lot of things in life we believe in, even though we can't see. We all believe in the wind, right? We can't see it, but we can feel the wind's effects. Scientists believe in black holes. They can't see them, but they see the effects of the black hole. Many of you believe that the Raiders will win the Super Bowl. That's, that's believing in something you'll never see, you know? So, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So kind of 
in order to illustrate the fact that sometimes we're so confident in our own sight when we actually shouldn't be. Faith is actually a better road to follow. But one of the, one of the, sometimes one of the most frustrating things about God is it seems like he kind of blends into life, doesn't he, you know? You can't, like, see him, you know, like, like uh, uh, you know, distinctly. Uh, but he's just, you know, but the fact of the matter is, is many of these things we had to kind of, you know, what's the whole point of this exercise is that even though things can be right in front of us, we may not always see it. And that's part of the story we have this morning. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 18, we're going to be talking about Elisha's servant who could not see the armies of God who were all around him. Now, just to give you a little bit of background here, in this period of Middle Eastern history, there were a lot of small kingdoms with this looming threat from the east called the Medo-Persian kingdom, which was gathering territory and swallowing up smaller kingdoms. But at this time, there was still the kingdom of Aram over here and the kingdom of Israel just beneath it. And the kingdom of Aram constantly wanted to annex Israel uh, because it was good land, good crops, good lakes, and had a direct access to the Mediterranean Ocean. So there's a lot of reasons why the kingdom of Aram wanted to conquer Israel. Uh, but one of the biggest things was is Israel was their greatest threat. Uh, Israel had a standing army. Aram had a standing army. So eventually the two toughest kids on the block are going to duke it out. They're leaving southern Judah alone for the moment. So it says here in verse 8, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I am going to set up my camp in such a such place. Excuse me. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Every time you see man of God, he's talking about Elisha. Elisha was the protege of Elijah. So he is a a full-time paid vocational prophet of the Lord. And the man of God sends word down to the king of Israel and says, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. What did Elisha just do? He just gave away the military secret for the king of Aram. What is Elisha right now? He is the CIA telling the president where to go, what to do, and how to strategize his war effort. So in verse 10, the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, Elisha, And time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. Uh, You know, the king of Israel's going, man, it's great to have Elisha. He's just giving me all these battle plans. We're able to thwart all these invasions before they ever even happen. And so in verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He's spending a lot of money to try to get something going and nothing's happening. So he summons his officers and he tell, demands of them, tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel. In other words, who's betraying our military secrets to the enemy? Now, I love it. In verse 12, one of his officers says, none of us, none of us are betraying you. But it's Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Verse 13, 
the king orders, go find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. And the report comes back, he is in Dothan. Dothan is not a very big city. Dothan is not a fortified city. It's not heavily guarded at all. Dothan is unprotected and could very easily be overrun by maybe three or 400 men and a few chariots. And so the king of Aram sends horses and chariots, verse 14, and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, now again, this is the servant. He gets up the next morning and servants have duties. He's emptying the bedpan, right? They don't have any running water in this day and age. So he is the toilet, right? He's taking everything out. He's getting water for breakfast. You know, maybe he's going to go stop by, get a little bit of uh, uh, wheat or something to make breakfast with. He's got duties. And as he goes out uh, doing his duties, he looks up and he sees on the ridge around this massive army that is ready to attack and kill them all. Remember, Dothan's just a small little objective. The goal is to get the whole country. And so he goes out there and he sees that the horses and chariots have surrounded the city. He comes back and says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? What shall we do? We're as good as dead. We're as good as conquered. They're going to come and they're going to stick their swords through us and we're going to be gone. And Elisha never looks up from his cup of coffee or from his iPad. (laughs) He sits there, hears all this stuff, and he says, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And in verse, uh, continuing verse 17, it says, And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Angelic armies, angels had been stationed around Elisha to protect him. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. And so God struck them with blindness just as Elisha had asked. If you ask any good pastor, he'll tell you, faith is believing without seeing. You know, I believe in a Jesus I've never shook hands with, a God I've never seen face to face, and a heaven I've never been to. I believe in it. I believe in it. It's as real as the stage I'm stomping on right now. That's faith. Every now and then, however, in life, as we walk this walk of faith and as we seek God and seek God's kingdom, there will come moments, I call them like little pinprick moments, where you see the supernatural world and realm that surrounds us. And this is one of those moments. My first point is this. First of all, let's be clear. God is there even when we can't see it. Even when we can't see it. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, all these people says, 
uh, after the author talks about all these faithful people, he says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They saw them and welcomed them from a distance. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. You're not going to see it. And yet I'm here to say there is a spiritual realm that coexists with ours. As creepy as this is going to sound, there are other beings inside this room that we can't see, that we can't touch, that we can't hear, but they're there. There's a spiritual realm that coexists with ours, and every now and then it intersects our world so that we can see it. Here's just kind of a sampling of testimonies I've collected over the years written down in my journal. One time I was talking to a feller, and uh, this was before I'd ever gone to a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church or, you know, anything that's halfway, half as weird as ours is. And because and, uh, I had come to faith in a Baptist church, and I'm very, 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 very thankful for that because I got the word right away. And one of the guys uh, was sharing one time, a very older man, an older gentleman in his 70s. He was talking about something that happened about 20 years ago when him and his wife were in bed he was awakened and he saw an angel bending over, bright light, with two hands praying over him and his wife like this. And he said it scared him so much and he shook. He grabbed his wife. His wife looked up, saw the same thing. They both looked at each other and tried to, you know, and, and tried to like just hold each other. And all of a sudden he said, you know how you close your eyes and you can see, like if you close your eyes now, you can see the light of the room, right? He said, all of a sudden, the bright light went black. And when we opened our eyes, the angel was gone. You may say, ah, yeah, well, I mean, people say that, you know, especially after a bottle of Jack Daniels or a little bit of bourbon, you know. I've seen lots of angels in my lifetime, you know. No, first of all, this, this was a good Baptist. He was dry and he did not drink. Second of all, you had to see the truth of it in his eyes and in his wife's eyes. This really happened. And as they were telling it, they were reliving it. Uh, I'm looking around the room now. I have had conversations with, let's see, one, two, three, four, four of you, where you have described to me a similar incident where you had an angelic visitation. And it forever cemented that God is real, <laughs> Jesus is Lord, and to keep your faith. You know, one of you was on your deathbed, uh, and that happened. So I'm looking around now, I could add to that. One of the other ones that I, uh, I had heard of, I had seen this a day or two later. So I wasn't here when it happened, but I went and saw it a day or two later. They were praying for someone who had an evil spirit uh, upon them. And they heard a loud scream go across the room, and then all of a sudden they saw a burn mark in the sheetrock of the house. So I, I, I told my pastor, I said, i got to see this. I went and looked, and sure enough, there was a burn mark in the, in the sheetrock, about maybe, I don't know, 18 inches or so. And, uh, and what happened was after the, after the evil spirit had left or whatever, you know, Everybody kind of stood up and they all walked over and they looked at it and they're looking around going, wow, you know, just amazed to see actual evidence of something from the spiritual realm intersecting into our world. 
There's many stories I've collected over the years of people seeing angels or some sort of divine thing happening in times of war. In fact, uh, one of the books I had read, there was a book that came out in the early 1970s of a man who had collected stories from soldiers in World War I, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam about, uh, you know, sort of a divine encounter during war. And these weren't just allied soldiers. These were German soldiers. These, you know, these were, uh, he, he collected stories from everywhere. Many of you have heard Pastor Wayne's testimony about uh, the moment when he, the mist came around him while he was in the Vietnam War. And, and just, there's moments where the spiritual realm intersects into the physical realm. And you just kind of walk away going, wow, you know, there was a little pinprick of that glorious realm that I was able to experience even if it was just for a short time. Now, of course, these stories do not happen every day, and there's many people that may have faith all their life and never have something like this happen to them, but there's enough. I'd probably say in this room, probably somewhere between 50 to 75% who have had something happen where you go, wow, I think I just saw evidence of the supernatural and the divine. Which leads me to my point number two. Sometimes God is there and we can see it. Second Kings 6, 17, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And when the Lord opened his eyes, what did he see? He saw the angelic armies encamped around Israel. Amazing sight. I'll, I'll speak no more on this other than to admit one thing. About 25 years ago, I had a vision. I experienced a divine vision. I wasn't high. I wasn't drunk. I didn't have a lot of pizza. I might have had a lot of pizza. But still, pizza does not make you hallucinate unless you have chili verde, which didn't exist back then. So, you know, I was, I was, um, it was some circumstances where I was being prayed for. And uh, one of the Baptist missionaries, two of the Baptist missionaries were praying for me. And uh, I don't know if it took, I never asked them how long it was, but it was a vision. It was a vision that's so clear. It's deeper than a memory. I could describe it to you right now as if I was reliving it right now. It burns, visions burn a lot deeper than dreams or just thoughts or imagination. Part of how I knew it was a bona fide vision is you kind of wake up from a daytime vision. You're awake, but you kind of wake up. Uh, instantly, you're kind of looking and, oh, wait a minute, I'm back in the, in the church here. And I'm back, you know, and, and uh, immediately the two pastors started asking me a bunch of questions. What happened? What did you see? Man, you were, you were talking, you know, what, what, what was going on? For about three weeks, we met, and they're all journaling what happened. So, I, so whatever was happening, they could see it. And I know what happened in my own life. It was for a very brief moment an intersection of the spiritual realm into the realm of real time and space. And uh, it's an amazing thing. But that was one, and that I haven't had something like that happen in 25 years. And it may never happen again. And for some of you, it may not happen at all. But my point is, and I think Elisha's point is, there is a spiritual realm. And we have to accept that by faith. But every now and then, it may just punch a hole into this world and manifest in real time and space. Number three, 
Don't give up too soon in trusting in God. I often think of Elisha's servant. He wakes up, he's cleaning out the bedpan, he draws the water, he sees the army, and he immediately goes to Elisha, what should we do? There's tunnels. We could go in one of the escape tunnels, or we could run and surrender, or we could maybe capture one of them, put on an enemy army uniform, and go, what are we going to do, Elisha? There's a few options I got. What do you think we should do? And the last thing in the world he probably wanted to hear from Elisha is, we're going to do nothing. We are going to allow God to handle this. Man, that's just not logical. That's not reasonable. That's not what a responsible person says, Elisha. And that's why Elisha had to say, you know, Lord, forever, for, for headache's sake right now, can you just show him? Can you just show him? And as his servant sees the chariots of fire, all of a sudden he grabs his cup of coffee and his iPad, and he sits back and says, man, we're going to see a great show today. <laughs> Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, but in due season we will reap if we do not give up, if we do not give up, faith is a lot like a muscle. You've got to work at it to build it up. A lot of times the reason why we give up is because we're not very strong when it comes to spirituality. Uh, I know a lot of people, man, they're ripped. They got big muscles. And you ask them how they got those big muscles, I guarantee you it wasn't watching potato chips or eating potato chips watching TV, you know? <laughs> they're going to the gym. They're working out, you know? They're, they're, they're constantly building muscles. One of the encouragements I want to give you today is to work some of those spiritual muscles, to read the Word, to join a ministry team, to begin to do things where you put yourself in a situation where your faith is tested, where your faith is challenged, where your faith is put up against something where you need it. And it begins to grow little by little by little by little. One of, probably one of the, the best perks of being a minister is you're forced to work out. You know, it's like, if I was a personal trainer, you know, uh, no one's going to want to work out with a 600-pound personal trainer, you know. They're going to think, man, it didn't work for you, you know. So, so the same thing with ministry, you know. If I don't work out those faith muscles, you're going to sense it. You're going to be like, man, I think the pastor's filled with more doubts about God than me. Some of you may have met pastors like that. They don't last very long you know, two, three, four, five years, uh, because th- it kind of forces you to have to work out those muscles. And what happens is, as your faith and spirituality muscles get stronger and stronger and stronger, it's amazing where you begin to see God moving and God doing things. And it begins to become more clearer and clearer and clearer to you. And what I'm telling you is, after 20 years of this, I've seen so many people give up too soon. They pray once, oh, God didn't do anything, and they stop praying. They stand for a day or two, but then life gets hard, so they cave. I love Christians with all my heart, but sometimes we can be so weak and so wimpy, and when the going gets tough, we just cave too soon. And I often think about Elisha's servant. 
what if he would have not even gone back to Elisha, but saw the enemy army drop the bedpan, drop the water, drop everything, and just do a mad dash for the hills? You know what would have happened? He would have never seen the chariots of fire that was there to protect him. Thank God he stood in there long enough. Well, we may not have this story today. And my encouragement to you is don't give up too soon on trusting God. In the unseen realm, he is always at work. And then finally, number four, those who are with us outnumber those who are against us. Those who are with us outnumber those who are against us. That's what Elisha said in, uh, <clears throat> in verse 16. He said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus said to Pilate, who had the power to crucify him, he said, don't you know I could call upon my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? For those of you who know Roman history, how many legions were there? 12, right? And so, he's, I mean, what is Jesus saying? Don't you realize that I could call upon God and he could send more than your Roman armies could ever muster? Those who are for us outnumber those who are against us. In 2 Kings 6, 17, it says, he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. It may seem like, oh, there's so many things against us and it's pressing in. And man, I tell you, it's like I've got 10 enemies and one God and right now the one God doesn't seem to be doing so much. So all these 10 enemies are just affecting my life and work is hard and marriage is hard and money is hard and all these things are hard and it just seems harder and harder and harder. And then I'm an angry man and I just fight all the time and I can't shut up enough because my mouth gets me in so much trouble. And, I and you just begin to, you know, you just begin to go nuts. And God says, Calm down. Those who are for you outnumber those who are against you. First John says, greater is he who is within us. Greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. You and God are always a majority. And sometimes when he's all you got, you'll realize He's all you need. About 10 years ago, I took a, a bunch of Seattle teenagers down to Mexico. And the missionary says, you know, you've been coming here a few years. Do you want to step it up a little bit? That's the way you mean by that. He says, well, you want to go to a rougher neighborhood? <laughs> that, you know, it's like, don't say that, you know. Because now if I say no, I'm going to feel like a chicken, right? You know? So I'm like, bring it, you know? And he's like, okay, we're going to go to this new city, city of 2000. It never, never really took off. And there's, you know, a lot of poverty and a lot of crime there. And uh, so we get down there, and it's, it's, it's exactly as he's described. Drug gangs, prostitution. And, uh, but he had taken youth teams down there before and had a lot of success. So, you know, we get off the bus, and I'm taking a good look at this. And if you know anything about the Seattle-Tacoma area, 
they're all, a lot of them are Norwegian, which means they're very blonde, very white, very blue-eyed, and they stand out. I mean, they stick out, you know, in a crowd, even in Norway, you know, I mean, they're just that way. And so as they're getting off the bus and I'm kind of looking at everything, I'm like, oh man, you know, everybody's going to know we're here. I mean, it's like, you know, there's no way to be subtle about this. So I said, you know what, it's okay. We, we went for it, and, and it was great. We did uh, all the kids, we did what we did was like a VBS there. We did all the kids were coming out. We were doing animal balloons, and, and there was like three or 400 kids that came forward to be, become Christians that day. And when I say kids, even teenagers, you know, it's, it's a great, great ministry. And so for, the, for like the third or fourth night, I'm like, let's go to Costco. Let's, get, let's, let's double it, you know. He's like, you sure you want to do that? Yeah, let's break out. You know, I don't care what the church says. Let's, you know, because I have the pocketbook, you know. Oh, let's just go. And, and, and it's got me trouble later. In fact, I think I shared this a few weeks ago. But anyway, you know. Uh, so, so, so we're like, we, and all of a sudden, not, we didn't have 400. We had like 800, you know. And, and this was great. I mean, it, it was, you know, went all day. But one of the things I didn't realize is when you have more stuff, it takes longer to pack up and leave, you know. So it's getting dark, and he comes to me and says, okay, we got to go now. I said, okay. And he looked concerned. More concerned than when the Zetas pulled us over. He looked concerned. So I said, okay. He said, no, no, no. You need to get everybody packing up, and we need to get out of here in five minutes. I don't know what he sensed or what he saw, but we need to get out. So I'm... It took me five minutes just to, you know, get to everybody. So they're all packing up. We got a sound system we're packing up. We got gear over here, gear over there. And they're all going, and I'm on my way out, and they they say, and somebody says, where were the girls with the face painting? I couldn't find them. They're not there. And so, you know, missionary, he's off doing whatever he does. But they're my kid. They're my, my youth group. I was responsible for them. So I run back into the kind of the depth of the neighborhood and I find them there and they're still face painting. They're like, Pastor Tom, these kids, we're praying for these kids and they're all just like Jesus and we're not, I'm like, shut up! We gotta get out of here! Do you understand what they do with little blonde girls here? You could go for a million dollars. Come on, we gotta get out of here. Oh, okay, okay, you know. I'm like yelling at them, you know. I have always have a very nice demeanor, you know, uh, right? You're, that's where you're supposed to say amen, you know. <laughs> so you're supposed to say yes, you're very nice, you know. And, and I came unglued, you know. So I, I mean, the kids are in line, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we're done. You know, I'm shooing them out of line, you know. And, and they're packing up all this stuff. I, finally, at one point, I'm like, you know, let's just leave it. No, we can't leave it, you know. And we're packing all this up, and when we finally get up, the little corridor to our van had closed with people. So now there's a crowd kind of going around us and we've got to get to this van. It is the only time in 23 years of ministry I truly had the feeling of fear grip my whole body. I mean, I experienced fear in a tangible almost broke down and cry away. It was, ju- it would, now it was no longer just d- d- uh, sunset. It was dusk. It was, there was no lights. 
uh, and there is the, the, it's a, there's an element that's coming out. You know, they're coming out of the doors, and you know, I mean, it was it was something had switched. Even the kids all of a sudden vanished. You know, there were no 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 more to be seen. And so here I am. I've got you know these three little ninth grade blonde girls. Oh, maybe they're more like eleventh grade blonde girls, and me. And we have our little stuff. And we're trying to walk through the crowd. And it's just not happening. And I am just terrified that not only are my sons going to grow up without a father, but three sets of parents aren't going to have their daughter. You know, I mean, this is all going through my mind. And I remember, I said, you know, put this stuff down and act like we're going through it. And we just took hands and I said, Jesus, I need you to clear a path right now and just let the enemy not see us but just make us look like however you want us to look like. I don't care if it's Pancho Villa. We just need to get out of this right now. And as we grabbed up our stuff, I said, you just walk. Even if we bump into somebody, you walk. We get straight to those vans. And, of course, we get halfway through the crowd, the missionaries, like, you know, pulling around people. And uh, when he finally got to us, you know, we, we got back to the van. And I remember the three teenagers looking and saying, you know what, Pastor Tom? Every time we walked, the people just parted, and they just parted. It was like somebody was ahead of us just clearing the people out so that we could get to the van. You know what my biggest regret is? That was not my experience. I believe them that that happened, but I was so frozen in fear that I was literally gripped. One girl had a bruise because I had gripped onto their wrists so hard, you know? I was just going to linebacker them through that crowd but i didn't have to do that because i believe there were two angels just parting the way as we were walking through why because those who are for us outnumber those who are against us and i regret now that i ruined what could have been a killer testimony in a church over the fact that i was just I was shaking, even in the van, I was still shaking. It took a few hours for me to come down from that because I really thought, this is it. These are, these are the moments. This is it. Greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. There are far more for us than there are against us. Amen? Before we close today, I just want to give a simple invitation. And the invitation is this. Every now and then, God's going to poke a hole into this world. And he calls us to see it. Miracles don't happen every day. That's why we call them miracles and not Monday. But they do happen. And they happen because of God's amazing grace over our lives. They happen because of the powerful name of Jesus. And they happen because God loves and cares for the human beings who live on planet Earth. So before we end this morning, I just want to give a very simple invitation. If there's anybody out there, you'd like to say, you know what? I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to know that even when I blow it, Jesus has got me covered. 
I want the free gift he's offering. And hopefully, I'll have one of those experiences as well. That God will punch a hole into this world and I'll walk away going, yeah, there is a supernatural realm. Just like Elisha's servant, there are truly more for us than there are against us. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd like to make that decision today for the first time or maybe just to rededicate that, go ahead and look up at me right now. Amen. 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 Why don't we pray this together? Say, Lord Jesus, I need your help. I wish I could see the armies surrounding me. But by faith, I declare they are there. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I make you my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your spirit that I may know those who are for me are much more than those who are against me. In Jesus' name, amen.